your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to continue our study on the God of Abraham. Bye, everybody. Have you ever used that that program, Google Earth? How many of you use Google Earth? All right. So I started it up the other day on my iPad. I just, you know, clicked the button and... And you get this picture of the, the whole earth shows up there. And then I didn't do anything, and it just started zooming in. It, started, it got a little blurry, and it zooms in, and it keeps zooming in, and you're seeing country, and then state, and then city. And all of a sudden, it stops. And at the end there, we're, we got a picture of the church office parking lot. That's where I, I was at the church office at the time. And in the center is the church van, or at least the roof of the church van. And wow, what an amazing piece of technology that is. It starts with the whole earth and it zooms in right where you're at. And that's kind of what we have here in the beginning of Genesis. In the first 11 chapters, we talked about this last week, you're seeing the, the whole earth, the big picture. You see creation, not just of the earth, but of the universe. You see the creation of, of everything. You see the, the fall of man fall of humanity that had impact on every person, every individual that would be born from that. The flood that covers the whole earth. Noah and his family saved from that flood. You see the Tower of Babel where humanity joins together to build an edifice to their own glory. And you see God come and confuse their languages. So they begin to spread out throughout the whole earth. And at the end of chapter 11, based on the genealogies in chapter 10, most, most scholars believe there are about 70 different groups of people on the earth, each probably speaking different language. And if you remember from last week, what we also have, so we have these 70 different groups of people, and then we have a, the self-existent, eternal, holy, righteous creator God. You have the Lord who judges sin, but is able to forgive, able to show mercy, able to give grace, and able to save. So that's the picture we have. That's the zoomed out picture of the the whole earth and the peoples of the earth and, and what's happened so far. And then we come to chapter 12. And we zoom right in. We're zooming right in. We have a picture of the whole earth. We have a picture of the Lord. Now we're zooming into the Lord's interaction with one man. His name is Abram. We'll become Abraham. And what we're going to study this morning in these first three verses, we're going to do three verses. We're going to back up and cover one again. I just need to do that just for a, just for a minute. And then we're going to cover the next two verses. What we have here in these first three verses is is the Abrahamic covenant, the first mentioning, the first telling, the first recorded of the Abrahamic covenant. Along the way, it'll be restated. So let me read this to you. Beginning in Genesis chapter 12, verse, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
This is called the Abrahamic covenant because God gives it to Abraham. God is the giver. It was the Lord who chose Abraham. It was the Lord who spoke to Abraham. It was the Lord who called Abraham out of his his life of probable idolatry in Ur of the Chaldees. Called him to be part of his plan of salvation. To bless all the families of the earth. You see, we're zooming in on one man, but God's purpose, God's plan still includes all of humanity. God will use Abraham, but God, not Abraham, is the hero of this story. This is so different from man-made religion. The emphasis of man-made religion is man. What man does for God. What man does to earn God's favor. What man does really to try to get God to do what man wants God to do. If I do this ritual in the right way, if I obey this command perfectly, or pray this amount of time saying these words, then God must bless me. And He must bless me in the way I want to be blessed. We find an example of that in the chapter before, Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. We've mentioned it. In this story, we see humanity together striving to get to God, to get to the heavens. They devise a plan of their own to reach for the stars, to reach God. And and you might say, well, that's not so bad. They wanted to get to the heavens, right? That's what their goal was. Well, why did God come down and, and stop it? Because the plan was intended for their own glory. Their plan was intended to raise them up. It wasn't intended for God's glory, but their own. We see maybe the exact opposite of that in the next chapter. Right here, what we read. This is chapter 12, a different plan. This is God's plan. I will, says the Lord. This is God's plan of redemption. What God does for man. What God does for men and women who have no ability to earn His favor. What God does to call people into His work, into His purpose, so that they will be blessed, and through them, God will bless others. A plan for His glory and for the good of us all. That's the way God does things. That's what we find in these first three verses of Genesis chapter 12. Five times the Lord says, I will... And with those five I wills, he makes seven promises to Abraham. This is God's covenant with Abraham. God's promises, a covenant. God's making promises to Abraham. And I want us to look at that covenant. I want us to look at the promises God gives to Abraham. And I want us to look at where those promises lead. How they're fulfilled. And what that means for you and I today. But before we look at each of the promises, I I want us to see something very important about this covenant. And it's not true with every covenant in the Bible. But this is really, I would say, the main covenant, the beginning of the the covenants. And it's an unconditional covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. Why is that important? God says, I will. He never says, I will if you God's covenant with Abraham is not based on Abraham. It's not based on who Abraham is, who he was. It's not based on what Abraham will do. It's solely based on who God is and what God will do. He promises, I will do, I will, I will. Abraham will fail. Abraham's descendants will fail. 
But God will not fail. If God says, I will, then he will. So let's look at what God promises he will do. Back to verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will show you a land, God says. God promises to show Abraham. Again, if you weren't with us last week and you don't know, Abram and Abraham, same guy, name change in Genesis chapter 17. We know him mostly as Abraham, so that's what I'll refer to him. God extends this. He says in verse, in, verse, in verse 1 here, he just says, I'll show you a land. Like, I get to watch a movie about a land, but, but that's not what he meant. Verse 7, he makes it clear. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, this is verse 7 of Genesis chapter 12, to your offspring I will give this land. Abraham is going to get a it. He's going to show it to Abraham, but God's going to give it. To Abraham's descendants. It's going to be their land. God promises to give the land to Abraham's descendants. This land would be their own, a place for them to live and grow and prosper, a place for them to raise their families, a place to know and worship their God. This would be a place for God to work in them, a place for God to create a, a new people, his people. And God chose a special place for them. Listen to what he says through the, what God says through the prophet Ezekiel about Jerusalem. And Jerusalem became the main city of this land that God was giving the descendants of Abraham. Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 5. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her. Think about that. God's saying, I set her the place where... Israel, the place where this land was to be, was purposed by God. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't, oh, this land is available. I'll shoot you over here. God, in his sovereignty, has placed this land in the center of the nations. Think about the land that God gave Abraham and his descendants. It didn't cover a great area. Relatively speaking, it was very small. At its largest in its history, in the history of the nation, it was about 13,000 square miles, a little larger than the state of Maryland, one of our smallest states. So if you think about that, in the grand scheme of things, it's a pretty small place. But this small land had a large influence. To the west is the Mediterranean Sea, which meant ports and ships and trade and visitors and traders coming through the land. To the south was Egypt. In Egypt, we'll see that, that God has a, has a purpose as his people will eventually go down into Egypt and in Egypt really become that great numerous people that will then go back up into the land. To the north, the west, and beyond were the great empires of the ancient world. Assyria, Babylonia, Persia, Greece, Rome. And there in the center of the nations was the land that God gave to Abraham. A land that would have and continues to have great influence on the world around it. A land from which would spring forth blessings to the nation. So God's first promise is, I will give you a land. A land in the center of the nations. Second, God says, I'll give you, I'll make you a great nation. And we know that Abraham's descendants, under the direction of God, 
under his sovereignty, became the nation of Israel. Now, how was Israel a great nation? It wasn't its great size or its great numbers, because it's smaller than most of the nations, most of the empires around it. And they were not a great nation in that they produced some great philosophy like the Greeks or a great system of human government like the Romans. So maybe they were great because they were a a moral nation. They were a good nation. That's clearly not the case. Just read the Old Testament. There are certainly moments where the the people shine forth, the nation shines forth, and there are certainly stars or or people that, that do the right thing. But for the most part, Israel's history is, is plagued by constant sin, rebellion against God. We see a stubborn people, a people who's been given a land and a nation by the Creator God, but often turns and worships false gods, idols. And ultimately, you see a nation that rejects and crucifies their own Messiah. So their greatness is not seen in their ability to do what is right. So, how are they great? Their greatness didn't come from their own human achievement. Their greatness came through their God. They were great not because of who they were or what they did, but because of who God, because of the God that chose them. God set them apart. God bestowed his grace upon them. They were to be an example to the other nations. They were to demonstrate who God was, showing both his righteousness, justice, his holiness, as well as his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. As they failed, as they fell, as they repeatedly fell away from God, he brought judgment upon them. Oftentimes, the judgment came from the nations that surrounded him. They demonstrated that God was just, even to his own people. He was holy, he was righteous in his judgments. And as they repented and called upon him for deliverance, God demonstrated his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness to them, delivering them over and over again. Again, oftentimes delivering them from the oppression of the surrounding nations. As a nation, there were two things that really set them apart. The first is the law that they received from God. And what was the purpose of the law? Maybe we think we know. You might say to keep them in line to keep them from sin, or, or even, maybe you know theologically, to reveal their sin. The law was given to reveal sin. And, though, and that's true, that, that's true. But listen to what Moses said to the people about the purpose of the law and the purpose of their nation. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Moses writes, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me. Talking about the law that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So you're supposed to keep the law. Keep them and do them. Why? For For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. The peoples. The nations surrounding them. Who, when they hear of all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever we call upon him, and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? 
As the people of Israel kept the law, they were a testimony to the nations. A testimony to the greatness of their nation? Maybe. But most importantly, to the greatness of their God. Israel was a great nation because it it had a great and holy and a righteous God. A God who gave them righteous statutes and rules. And the second thing that sets Israel apart as a great nation was its, its worship. The first commandment was that they worship the one true God. That there would be no other gods before him. That he and he alone would be their God. And throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, God calls this nation to worship their God among the other nations. Throughout the Psalms, you can find this theme. One example is in 1 Chronicles 16, 24, 25. Declare the glory, no, excuse me, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be held in awe above all gods. God, through Abraham, would create a great nation. That great nation would in turn declare his greatness and glory among the nations. So second, God promises, I will give you a great nation, a great nation among the nations. Third, I will bless you. And fourth, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. We're going to look at three and four together. God promises to bless Abraham, to show him favor, to prosper him. The blessing means that you will be prosperous. And and this is what happened. First of all, God blessed Abraham materially. In the next chapter, chapter 13, we read, Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. God also blessed Abraham with a great name, it says there. What does it mean to have a great name? It certainly has to do with a a person's reputation. God promised that Abraham would be respected among the peoples of the earth. Abraham was, was also blessed with a son, even through his, his wife that was barren. He was blessed with wealth. He was blessed with a great name. And he was blessed with descendants. Descendants that would become a great nation. But most importantly, he was blessed with a, a relationship with God. He was blessed to be chosen by God. And three times in Scripture, he's called the friend of God. Abraham is the friend of God because he has a relationship with God. Now, let me ask you this. Why was Abraham blessed in these ways? Why did God bless Abraham? Well, if by why, if if we mean what did Abraham do to deserve these blessings, then the answer Scripture gives is because God chose to bless him. No other reason is given. This is grace Abraham's life is a wonderful picture of God's unconditional grace in this unconditional covenant. I will bless you. There's no I will bless you if you do this for me. If you can go through enough hoops, I will bless you. God says unconditionally, I will bless you. So it's not based on what Abraham deserves. But if by why we mean what was God accomplishing by blessing Abraham... Then we have the answer right here. So that you may be a blessing, God says. God did not bless Abraham only for Abraham's sake. God blessed Abraham that he might bless others. That needs to sink into us. God blessed Abraham that he might be a blessing to others. 
We'll talk more about that. God begins by blessing Abraham, but he doesn't stop with Abraham. The blessing extends to all the nations. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. God gave Abraham a great nation and a great name. And throughout the history of the the great nation, there were other, other people, other leaders of the nation with great names and great reputations. One of those, maybe one, the one with the greatest name of his day was Solomon. And Solomon understood the reason Israel was a great nation. And the reason that he had a great name was to display the greatness of their God among the nations. Listen to Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 41. This is really amazing stuff if you think about it. And we're going to talk about this, but oftentimes we think the Old Testament is the Jews and the New Testament is for everybody. I hope, I, w- I want as part of this, us to get a sense that it never was the case. God's always been concerned for all the nations, all the peoples. Listen to Solomon's prayer, 1 Kings eight forty-one. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your namesake, For they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. And that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. He's talking about the temple that Solomon had built. Not just for the Jews, it's for all peoples that they'll know of the God of this place. God blessed Abraham with a great nation and a great name. And that greatness extended to his descendants. Why? That through them the foreigner, the peoples of the earth might know the great name of God. That they might fear and worship God as the people of Israel did. So third, God promised that he would bless Abraham. And fourth, God promised that he would make Abraham's name great. Why? That through Abraham's blessing, others would be blessed. Other peoples, other nations. Five, fifth promise. I will bless those who bless you. And sixth, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. This speaks of God's protection of Abraham and his descendants. There would be blessings from God for those who sought after their good. And there would be curses from God for those who sought to do them harm. There would be dishonor to them. Scripture and history shows that God took this promise, takes this promise seriously. For example, God destroyed, think about the Red Sea. God destroyed Pharaoh and his armies in the Red Sea. Why? Because they were pursuing after. They had He had said, you can go, and they're pursuing after them because they had cruelly enslaved and and mistreated the people of Israel. And in contrast to that, remember the midwives in Egypt. When Pharaoh had ordered the death of the, the, the male children, and the midwives... The Egyptian midwives befriended the Jews and hid their children and, and, and deceived those that were deceived those that were seeking to kill the children. Remember, God prospered them. God gave them families, the scripture says. When the Jews invaded Canaan and they came into the, the, the land, this is when they're coming into this land that God had, had given them from the, for really the first time as a people. 
They had been in Egypt and delivered, and now Joshua is leading them to, into the land. There's the first city they encounter, the city of Jericho. And the city was destroyed. But remember Rahab and her family were preserved and blessed because she befriended the spies that came into the land. We see this even on a personal level in the life of Ruth. We know the story. Ruth was a a Moabitess. She wasn't a a Jewish woman. But she chose to remain. She married a, a Jewish man who died. And Ruth chose to remain with her mother in law, Naomi, and bless her. Ruth chose to be a part of her. And in turn, Ruth was blessed with, with, with many wonderful blessings, including being in the, in the line of the Messiah. Also was given a, a husband, Boaz. In each of these cases, we see a, a non-Jew blessing or cursing the, the Jews. And in return, they are blessed or cursed by God. God was protecting and preserving His people for a purpose. So fifth... God promises to bless those who bless Abraham and his descendants. And sixth, God promises to curse those that curse Abraham and his descendants. Why? It brings us to to number seven, the seventh promise. The promise that I believe all of these promises are pointing at, all of these promises are leading to the seventh promise. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. God would give Abraham a land. He would make him into a great nation. He would bless him. He would make his name great. He would bless those who blessed him and curse those who cursed him. Why? So all the families of the earth would be blessed. God's plan. As I said before, many people believe that the God of the Old Testament only cared about this one people group, this one group, the the Jews. They say it wasn't until Christ that God demonstrated his love for all peoples. That's just not the case. God didn't change. The Abrahamic covenant, we see that God from the beginning cared about all peoples, all of humanity. The Abrahamic covenant reveals the missionary heart of God in the Old Testament. Many have called this this Abrahamic covenant the great commission of the Old Testament. Yes, his plan was to focus on one group, but through that group, he would reach out to all peoples. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is what the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, which we studied recently, if you remember, calls the gospel beforehand. The good news announced beforehand, the gospel Galatians 3.8, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. In you shall all the nations be blessed, is the gospel beforehand. He talks about the Gentiles. The word Gentiles is the Greek word ethnos, and it means peoples. All the peoples, the families of the earth will be blessed. The Gentiles. When God made his covenant with Abraham, he was not thinking of the Jewish people only, but of all peoples. Yes, Abraham, I'll bless you. I'll make you into a great nation. You'll be a blessing. God, from the beginning, was planning for the good news, the blessing, to go to all peoples. And what, let's just be clear here, and what or who was the blessing for all nations? 
Paul goes on in Galatians to describe this blessing. Down in verse 13, Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us, the non-Jews. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Remember, Abraham. And we'll talk a lot about faith next week. As Abraham gets takes all these promises in, and then he must, in faith, respond. And we, in faith, must respond also. The blessing that is to come to the nations through Abraham is the redemption, salvation through Christ Jesus. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through you, one will come to redeem humanity. And that one is the Lord Jesus Christ, a direct descendant of Abraham. Maybe if you wonder sometimes why those genealogies are in your Bible, the genealogy in, in Matthew begins with Abraham and takes us to Jesus, showing that he's the fulfillment of this promise. The, 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 the genealogy in Luke begins with Jesus and goes all the way to Adam, but goes right through Abraham. Through Abraham and then through Christ comes the ultimate blessing, the blessing of redemption. This is the blessing. Think about where we were right before we got to chapter 12. We're in chapter 11. The people have a problem. These 70 groups of people not knowing God had a problem. And it's the same problem that humanity faces today. We've rebelled against the holy, righteous creator God. And this has brought us under the curse. The curse from the fall. We are under judgment. We are not in right relationship with God. That song there, I cheered up a little bit. Prone to wander. Prone to wander. He was speaking to me when he wrote those words. I'm prone to wander from the Lord. Because because of our sin, we're prone to wander. Sin has a hold on us. We on our own are unable to escape escape the grasp of sin. Even if we wanted to, and be perfectly honest, most often we don't. We want to languish, we want to remain in our sin. It's, it's comfortable to us. So what do we need? We need a redeemer. A redeemer is someone who pays the price for another. Because of our sin, we owed a, a great debt. And on the cross, Jesus Christ paid that debt. He redeemed us. He bought us back. He delivered us from the wrath of God. He frees us from our slavery to sin. This is the promised blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. The blessing of redemption. The blessing of salvation. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Blessed through the redeeming, sacrificial death of your descendant. The Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation in Christ Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment and purpose of the Abrahamic covenant. Through Christ, all the families, the peoples, the nations of the earth will be blessed. Amen? Amen, all right. I could end there, but I'm not going to. Because we have to do something about this. It has to mean something to us. Okay, we got the theology down. We have the the biblical theology that God, our God, is a missionary God. And from the beginning, 
He's had a plan. And that plan wasn't just for one people group, it was for all people groups. So what is our response to the Abrahamic covenant? Our first response, maybe some of have made this already, should be to receive the promises it makes. To receive the Redeemer. To receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As Paul puts it in in 3.14, so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us. That's me, that's you, that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. The Spirit's given to those who trust, who put their faith in Jesus Christ. So our first response must be to put our faith in Christ, to receive the blessings of Abraham, to receive the Spirit through faith. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, then I would encourage you this day to do so, to give your life to Him, that you might escape his judgments, and that you might experience the blessings that he offers, the blessings of redemption and forgiveness, the blessings of eternal life in his presence. I would encourage you, give your life to Christ, put your faith in Christ that you might receive the blessings set forth in the Abrahamic covenant. Now for those who've received those blessings, who've received the Spirit, for those who've given their life to Christ, I would, I'd point out our response, and I believe it's clear. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. And we, as his spiritual children, we too are blessed to be a blessing. How are we to be a blessing? Let me suggest this. Abraham's God is our God. The purpose of the covenant God gave to Abraham was to bless all the families of the earth. To bless them through Jesus Christ. That was the purpose of this covenant we're studying. Way back at the beginning of Genesis. And God's method for accomplishing that purpose was what? To choose a person that he could work through. So we have God's heart and God's method. God's heart is for the nations. God's method is to choose a person. God's purpose and method has not changed. God is still a missionary God. And He still wants to bless all the families of the earth. And God is still choosing people to work through. He chose Abraham and his descendants, and now He chooses His church. He chooses us. He chooses you and I. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing, and we are blessed to be a blessing. Our response is to allow God to work in and through our lives, to be chosen by Him, to be, blessed, to be a blessing to the nations. The Abrahamic covenant began with the word go. God says to Abraham, go, leave your country. And this is the same word that Jesus gives to the church. Remember I said uh, the Abrahamic covenant is often referred to as the Great Commission in the Old Testament. Well, let's look at the Great Commission in the New Testament. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. God called Abraham to go. To go from his country, his people, his father's house. And God calls us to go. To go to the ends of the earth. 
to become blessings by making disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. That's God's word for you and I today. There's no greater way, there's no greater way to bless an individual, a family, a people, than to lead them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then to help them grow in that relationship with Christ. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Jesus said, that's what it means to make disciples. That's what it means to be a blessing to the nations. So how do we do that? Well, part of how we do that as a church is is to send and support missionaries. People who God has called to cross cultural, to cross language barriers. And we need to continue to support those missionaries we've sent out. And we need to continue to seek God for who will be next, who will be sent out next to cross those barriers. You know what that means, though? That means that we have to take some of the things that we've been blessed with, our finances, our time, and we need to give them that the nations might be blessed through those that we sent out. We need to continue to financially support the missionaries that we've sent out. We need to continue to set aside time to pray for them so that the nations might be blessed. That's God's plan. So it means setting aside those, those finances. It means setting aside that time for prayer. And for some, that, it might mean setting aside your, your life for that purpose. To go, to cross those cultural barriers yourself. To bring the gospel, to make disciples to the ends of the earth. But it's not just a matter of sending others. Each of us is called to be a blessing. To be a blessing by making disciples wherever God has us. Let me just give one example. Next week you can come to uh, the meeting after church about the children's ministry, and you can learn how you can be involved in discipling the children of Bridges Christian Fellowship. I hope that sounds exciting to you. God's called you to make disciples, to bless, and you can bless our children by discipling them. And as a church, it's our responsibility to equip one another to make disciples. So let's get super practical. One of the ways that we can do that this year, one of the ways we've talked about as elders, talked about equipping one another to make disciples, is by offering this uh, multiply class every Sunday morning. 24-week class. Sunday morning, 8.30 to 9.30. I know you want to sleep in on Sunday mornings. Some, some, Some of you, that might be your only day. So you have to make a decision. You have to take that to the Lord. Lord, is this something you want me to be involved in? Lord, do you want me to be better equipped to make disciples? This class is designed by Francis Chan and David Platt, two names you may or may not be familiar with. They're people that uh, many of us have read their books and their material. We've studied through some of David Platt's material, even as a church. And they're godly men, men who have a passion for seeing disciples in all the nations. This, this, this study is designed to equip people you and I, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I just want to show a a little video clip, just giving a little more information. Have a couple guys, David Platt and and Francis Chan, speak to us about this and how it relates to making disciples. So 
the thought of someone rising from the dead and saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a huge statement. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So it starts with Jesus saying, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. At the end, he says, now go and make disciples of all nations. This is what you were created for. A lot of people have memorized this passage, but are they doing it? Is it actually happening? Um, we're all afraid. We all um, have, have insecurities. Can we, can we work together to get rid of those and, and pray that God gives us power over those things and then actually observe, actually go and do what he commanded us to do? And so the heart behind Multiply is to help us remember, remind each other, hey, we're disciples of Jesus. That means we make disciples of Jesus. This is not just for the super gifted, the super talented. I really believe as we're doing this, we're really going to experience the presence of Christ with us in a much, uh, much more full way, in a much more real, tangible way. I mean, that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit was he says, look, I I'm going to give you this, this Holy Spirit. And, and when he comes, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses. The heart behind Multiply is saying, how can we encourage every single follower of Christ to fish for men, every single disciple of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus, and then along the way, equip one another, help, help give one another tools that can be helpful in the process of making disciples so that you and I together can be a part of accomplishing the greatest mission on the planet, seeing disciples made in every single nation among every single people group. I believe engaging in this study together will equip us to make disciples. It will help us to be those world changers. We have those shirts now, equipping world changers. Really, really what we mean by changing the world is making disciples. It will help us to be a blessing to the peoples. Practically, there's a sign-up sheet. Jeff, there. I would encourage you to sign up. We just need to know how many books to buy. It comes with this book that we go through together. It's a step-by-step -step process leading us in, leading us through what it, what it means to make disciples and then leading us into some, uh, some curriculum on how, how to do that, how to take someone from step point A to point B, how to share your faith with someone, and how to grow them up in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to be about as a church. Now, some of you at this point are probably experiencing some fear. Right? Deep breath. Some fear about making disciples. I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if that's what, how God has made it. Well, let me, let me just say two things. One, you can do it, and two, that is how God made you. Now, you may need to do it in a different way. You know, if you're a child of God, you have the blessings of Abraham. You're called... You're given the Great Commission, and as Hudson Taylor said, the Great Commission is not an option to consider, but a command to obey. It's for all of us. Maybe, well, maybe some of us need to do it as teams, maybe, but that's what we want to work out 
in this Some of us are gifted in different ways. Some of us are probably better evangelists and some are better teachers. But as a church, this is what we have to be about. Together. And nobody gets, nobody, part, part of the church, there's no, it's not a spectator place. We all need to be involved in, in some way. In some way. And you need to find out what your, your way is. And I think this, this class will help us with that. But again, maybe there's some fear out there. Abraham probably experienced some fear about going to an unknown land. Go, leave everything you're familiar with and go to this place. I will show you. I promise I'll show you. A little fear there. But as we've seen, God made some promises to Abraham. And promises that if believed, and Scripture says Abraham did believe, would deal with his fear. And when God says to us, go and make disciples, he gives us promises as well. Well, he gives us specifically one promise. And there is no greater promise than this. And that promise, if believed, will deal with all of your fears. At least in process. At least as you step out in faith and take hold of that promise. Jesus promises to those who go and make disciples, that's the context of this promise, I don't know if this promise applies if you're not making disciples. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. For those who will take the challenge, for those who will embrace the heart of our missionary God and go make disciples, we need not fear. For Jesus, our Redeemer, will be with us, leading and guiding and directing, giving us everything we need to accomplish His purpose of blessing all peoples, including the peoples around you in your given life, the people across the street, the people you work with, blessing them by by sharing the love of Jesus Christ with them and and for those blessing them by teaching them all that he taught all that he's taught you, bringing them up, making disciples. So don't let fear get in the way of being God's blessing to your world. So I would encourage all of us, to take that step. And, and this is just that first step, you know, joining in with this class as we together can, can encourage one another in what it means to make disciples. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you. Thank you that you chose us, that you called us. Lord, that you sent Jesus to, to be our redeemer, to deliver us, to, to pay the debt that we owed, Father. And you've promised us so much, as you've promised Abraham, Lord. Lord, we see that your heart has always been for, for peoples. Lord, I pray, I beg, I ask you, Lord, that you would make our heart for the peoples as well. For the nations, for the nations that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ and for the neighbor that has no idea who Jesus Christ really is. Lord, I pray you would burden our heart for your heart, for your heart for those people. Lord, that you would use us, that you would use us at Bridges Christian Fellowship to be a blessing to the people you've put in our world. In Christ's name, amen.